This morning in our Bibles, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 10 uh, in your pew Bible. You can find that on page 1,121. We'll read Matthew 10 in its entirety, but we'll be focusing our attention especially upon verses 31, uh, rather 32 and 33. So we begin reading Matthew 10 at verse 1, and hear now together the word of the Lord. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Libius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor beg for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. But it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speed in the light, and whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And again, congregation, it is to verses 32 and 33 that we focus our attention this morning where Jesus Christ says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, there are certain things within life upon which a person can remain neutral, uh, not picking one side or the other. Uh, there are other things in life, by the very nature of the, the thing that demands a position be taken on one side of the issue or on the other side of the issue. Uh, there are many in our day when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to religious matters, perhaps even when it comes to the so-called concept of faith, who would pretend that a person can remain neutral, unbiased, open to all avenues, and open to all positions. There are those who pretend that the way forward in life is not to claim to have any absolute convictions, not to have any absolute certainty about these weighty matters. But I would present to you this morning on the authority of the Word of God that it is absolutely impossible to remain neutral in one's personal conviction concerning Jesus Christ. A person is either going to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or a person will deny Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And is that not part of the reason why our hearts rejoice? upon hearing these professions of faith coming forth from these young people. They have professed that they believe Jesus Christ is Lord, not just in a distant, objective sort of a way, but also in a personal, experiential way. They have professed to believe that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior. But what does that mean? And what are the implications from making 
such a profession of faith. Now, that's what we want to consider this morning with the words of our text. Underneath this simple theme, confessing Christ, we'll notice together, first of all, the action in confessing Christ, and then secondly, the setting for confessing Christ, and then thirdly, the importance of confessing Christ. So the theme, confessing Christ, we'll notice the action, the setting, and the importance of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So first of all then, the action in confessing Christ. Confessing, the very word that is used there in verse 32 of our text, has this idea of of saying the same, almost of, of echoing, echoing a statement in agreement to the truth or the validity of that statement. It is used also, for example, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul speaks of the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. Gospel, of course, has this meaning, the good news, the good news of Christ. Christ has this idea of the appointed Savior of men. So the good news that there is a Savior of men, and that Jesus is that Savior of men. The Apostle Paul says the obedience of your confession. Uh, Also, he uses the word in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, where he exhorts Timothy, and by extension, uh, the entirety of the church, to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So confession has this idea to agree and to say the same thing. Uh, But other Scripture passages shed further light on what exactly it means to confess Christ. And first of all, it has this meaning, uh, to acknowledge the person of Jesus Christ. And if you've kept your Bible open this morning, we're going to use a couple other Scripture passages to shed light into Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. And one of the first passages that we're going to refer to is Matthew 16, verse 15 and 16. Jesus Christ says here to his disciples, especially to Simon Peter, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Notice the thrust of the question of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? That is, what do you believe about my identity? And Simon Peter, he says in verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is inescapable that we will believe something about the person of Jesus Christ, and it is of utmost importance that what we believe about Jesus Christ is the same as what Jesus Christ says about himself. That's what it means to confess or to say the same thing. That that my words and behind my words, that my very soul would agree with the self-revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, he came into this world. And through his prophetic ministry, he revealed to especially his disciples... Uh, but to others to whom he ministered. He revealed the reality that he is the eternal Son of God, incarnate in the fullness of time, having taken 
a very real human nature unto himself, so that he is not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man, the one appointed mediator and Savior. And having made that revelation also to us through the preaching of the Word. And when you think of these four young people, think that Jesus Christ came to them and revealed to them from their youngest days by their parental instruction that they received. Uh, by the education they received, by the catechism and the Sunday school classes that they received, and by the sermons that they heard over and over through the Word of God. Jesus came and said to them, I am the Son of God and the Son of Man. But who do you say that I am? And to confess Christ is to say with the conviction of faith, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And I believe that you are the one only Savior. Now do you see how contrary that is to the spirit of the age? And especially to Tessa and EJ and Marie and Ben, to all of our young people, to all of us, the world is going to challenge our convictions. The world is going to say, you know what is most exalted is to say that you're not sure of anything. Fight the good fight of faith. In response, say, I am fully persuaded. Based upon the authority of the Word of God and the self-revelation of Jesus Christ within that Word of God, that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the one only mediator. It's also not only to acknowledge His person, but to acknowledge His Lordship. If you'd also flip over, if you're inclined, to John 20, uh, verse 28, uh, here you'll notice that there is a confession concerning the lordship of Jesus Christ. That flows out, of course, from the reality that he is the eternal Son of God. Post-resurrection, uh, Thomas, not having yet seen with his eyes the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, has his doubts. And Jesus Christ ministers to those doubts. And he comes, and again, uh, he makes this act of self-revelation. He shows Thomas not only his person, but also something concerning his work of redemption. He shows Thomas the nail prints and the spot that the spear entered into his side as he accomplished the work of salvation and redemption. And Thomas, when he sees, he then makes this profession in verse 28, my Lord and my God. And so Thomas recognizes as the Holy Spirit works and brings to his heart the realization of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done, that this is his God. The divinity of Jesus Christ is recognized. And therefore Thomas submits and he says, you are Lord. You are my Lord. Notice that personal note. Not just you are a Lord. Not just you are the Lord of some, but you are my Lord. 
And congregation, I would present to you this morning that that is at the very heart essence of making a confession of faith. That this Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, is my Lord. He is sovereign. He is authoritative. And on that certificate that these four young people just received is reference to the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong to whom? To my Lord. And so this profession of faith or confession of faith, we use the words this morning interchangeably, although we recognize there is a subtle distinction between them. This profession or confession of Jesus Christ as Lord acknowledges the sovereign ownership of Jesus Christ over every single aspect of our life. Nothing of ours is really ours. Whatever gifts, whatever talents, whatever opportunities we have in our life today, next week, next year, next decade, It all belongs to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every aspect of our being, our body and our soul, our mind, our emotions, our will, it all belongs to Him who has redeemed us with His precious blood, Jesus Christ. And so to all of those who have made a profession of faith this morning or in recent years or in many, many, many years ago, This is a loving reminder to you that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You belong to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean to make a public confession of Jesus Christ? It means to acknowledge his person and to acknowledge his lordship, to say the same thing as what Jesus Christ says about himself. Uh, But notice the setting for confessing Christ in our second point. Uh, The setting for confessing our Christ brings us back to the words of our text, uh, Matthew 10, uh, verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. The first thing we want to say is that the setting for a valid confession of faith is from the heart. And here we use Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, to shed light in on this matter. Uh, where it says that this confession is made with the mouth, but the mouth speaks of those realities that are existent within the heart or within the soul. So yes, the mouth makes the profession, but behind it, the heart makes the profession. And in biblical terminology, a heart refers to that innermost spiritual center of the person's existence. And we sometimes use the word this way also. Uh, We say that he or she believes something with all of their heart. On the other hand, we might say about somebody, if they're kind of lackadaisical about something, uh, if, if they just kind of go along with it, you might say, well, you can see that his heart isn't really in it, or her heart isn't really into this activity. By contrast, when someone really loves something, when someone is really committed to something, when someone is really earnest about something, then we say, well, they are into that with all of their heart. And our confession of Christ must be something that comes from the entirety of our heart, from the very center essence of who we are. 
And, and not just at the moment of our initial confession of faith, uh, but loved ones, our Christian faith demands 100% of who we are. That with all of our heart, with all of our being, with all of our mind, all of our will, all of our emotions, all that we are, we acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. And so that this true faith Yes, it is certainly uh, a certain knowledge, but it's also this this hearty trust or this hearty confidence that believes the revelation of the Word of God and is convinced of its reality more than anything else. So that by the ministry of the Word and the Spirit, with all my heart, I place myself completely upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And so by a word of application, a word of reflection, a word of encouragement this morning, are you into the Christian faith with all of your heart? Not just a fringe member, not just someone who's in it half-heartedly, but someone who's in it totally, absolutely committed with all that you are and all that you have. You could ask yourself the question this way. What is the one word that most characterizes who you are? Is it Christian? Or is it perhaps something on a horizontal level? If someone were to ask people about us, and if they were to ask this question, tell me what is the one most important thing in that person's life, would the answer be his Christian faith? or her Christian faith. Uh, This must be from the heart because it is made in the presence of persons. I notice in the words of our text that the context all involves opposition. And again to Tessa and to Ben and Marie and EJ, there's, there's part of me that wishes I could say to you, The Christian life will be one of absolute ease. You you will never face a trial. You will never face a disappointment. You will never face a challenge, but I would be a liar if I were to say that. You will face challenges. You will face trials. You will face temptations. In your latter teens, in your 20s, your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, as long as you are still on this side of glory. Our world is no friend to the Christian faith. And sometimes even our closest associates are no friends to the Christian faith. And Jesus recognizes that. And so he says to the 12 disciples, I'm sending you forth amongst wolves. Don't be naive. He says that 
the Christian confession will bring even division within the closest relationships between family members, and at times it does. Now, that doesn't mean that we go eagerly looking for division or unnecessarily causing division. And Jesus also acknowledges uh, that his followers will be persecuted, may even be dragged into courts uh, and be called upon to give a testimony. Now, on the one hand, Jesus says, don't be alarmed and don't be overly fearful Uh, The Lord will be with you even in that context, enabling you to bring forth the good confession of faith. But this word to confess has the very setting uh, of being in a public court. And perhaps not in a public court, but in the public court of opinion, our confession of Jesus Christ as the one Lord and the one Savior and the one Redeemer will be challenged and will be denied and will be attacked. Perhaps it will be college professors. Perhaps it will be fellow college students. Perhaps it will be co-workers uh, in your vocation. Perhaps it will be extended family members. And they will say to you, do you really believe That Jesus Christ is the only Savior? How can you be so close-minded? How can you be so barbaric? How can you be such a fundamentalist? And at such times to bring forth the good confession will be, yes, I have to believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And why do I have to believe that? Because I simply say the same things that Jesus Christ says. I'm not coming up with some novel idea. I'm not narrowing the way into eternal life more than what Christ himself did. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, also must say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. And so I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I also must say, no one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. I simply say the same things as what Jesus Christ says. And if the world will not hear that, then in essence we must follow the exhortations of the Lord Jesus Christ and shake the dust off of our sandals and move along. But we dare not, we dare not compromise our confession. We dare not add one word to what Jesus Christ has said about himself, nor do we dare subtract one word about what Jesus Christ has said concerning himself. And if the whole world is against us, so be it. If we say the same in essence as what Jesus Christ says, and the whole world is against us, we still have the infinite advantage because of what we consider in our third point, the importance of confessing Christ. If we confess Christ, he will confess us. Therefore, verse 32, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Now, we need to be clear, 
Jesus Christ in heaven does not make this confession on our part on the meritorious work of our. It's not as if we earn our salvation by way of our confession. Our confession, if it is a good, valid, true, pure confession, flows out of our heart, out of a heart that is regenerated by the grace of God, out of a heart that exercises faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a faith that simply receives Jesus Christ in all of His merits, including justification, so that we are justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God. And included in that peace is the fact that those who, by faith, as a result of regeneration, those who believe in Jesus Christ have someone to intercede on their behalf in the presence of God the Father Almighty. Now, we read of this, for example, in Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, speaking about Jesus Christ, uh, the author of the Hebrews writes, therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And and the idea there of making intercession, and and I want to be hopefully crystal clear, it's not, it's not as if the Son comes into the presence of the Father with, with some type of begging. Some type of, oh, please, 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 Father, look upon these and have some pity and have some mercy. Rather, it is the authoritative presentation of the completed work of redemption on behalf of his people. If on earth we confess that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in heaven, Jesus Christ confesses that he is our Savior and our Lord. And notice that this is a constant, effective, effectual interceding. He is able to save because he has accomplished all that is necessary for salvation. Now, the idea here is also one of a defense attorney, or more specifically, an advocate in the courtroom setting. And so if they call us into the courts here in this earthly realm, never fear. Just simply make the good confession that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And in the courts that ultimately matter, in the court of the Father's tribunal, there the Son makes intercession for the people of God. And so Jesus Christ, He also emphasizes this. For example, in verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body. Now, perhaps that sounds a bit aggressive in our ears. Do not fear those who can kill the body? Well, what if, what if persecution comes to that point? Even in our beloved land of the free and home of the brave, what if it comes to the point that we are charged for hate crimes because of our allegedly being bigots and being closed-minded and haters of humanity? Do not fear. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Powerful words also in connection with the fact that our times ultimately are not in our control. 
Well, how, how can we not fear the death of the body? How can we not fear even the tragic accidents from our perspective that can happen in the blink of an eye, taking away our physical life? Well, the answer ultimately lies that the body they may kill, but no earthly power can touch the redeemed soul. No secular court can touch the redeemed soul. And no physical accident can touch the redeemed soul. Yesterday afternoon, I read with Ruth Gorder from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. And then it goes on, as many of you well know, He will not allow your foot to be moved. And as you read through that, don't you just have the struggle of faith? Is this true? Then why, Lord? He shall preserve your comings and your goings. With all humility, Lord, it doesn't seem so. The answer is found in the statement, He shall preserve your soul. And yes, the body is certainly valuable. The body is created by God. The body is redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The body will be resurrected. The body will be transformed. The body also will experience uh, the unspeakable glories of eternal life. But the soul, He shall preserve your soul. And even when evil men do whatever they can, and even when accidents happen, and of course they happen underneath the providence of God, and even when death comes, having confessed Jesus Christ before men, Christ then confesses our name before the Father. And let this then be motivation but notice also the word of encouragement that comes by the contradiction that is stated there in verse 32 and 33. Whoever confesses me, I will confess, but whoever denies me, I will deny. And in closing, can you imagine, can you imagine anything more dreadful than the sun denying you? I don't know if you've ever had it where someone who you thought was your friend denies being your friend. You might say, oh yeah, I, I know him. I'm, I'm friends with him. And they say, we're, we're not friends. Now on an earthly level, maybe that's somewhat hurtful. But it really doesn't matter. But imagine the sun saying, I never knew you. And there will be those, according to Matthew 7, 
Verse 21 and 23, there will be those who on the final day appear before the tribunal of God and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and do that? Did we not prophesy, cast out demons and do many wonders? And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Can you imagine the horror? So make a good confession. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. Because as horrible as that would be, how glorious it will be When our time is come where we say farewell to this life and enter into the realm of the eternal, to see the Son in all of His resurrected and ascended glory and the presence of the Father interceding on our behalf, saying, I know you. I have loved you. I have redeemed you. I have saved you. You confessed me before men, and now I will confess you before the Father. What a glorious day that will be, and so to all of us, including the four who have just made profession of faith, stand fast. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we call upon your name in prayer, and we do thank you uh, that you have revealed unto us uh, the identity and also the work of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you again, Heavenly Father, for those who this morning uh, and in recent months, and also those who will anticipate making public profession of faith in the months to come, uh, Lord, we ask that you would keep them, lead them, guide them, continue to work within them, and continue to work within all of us uh, that we might bring forth the good confession in the presence of many witnesses both now and for eternity. For Jesus' sake, amen.